If you have a Bible, I would tell you to open it up to Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 28. But that seems a little bit too much. So, uh, go anywhere you want to in that uh, section of Scripture, and we will be somewhere in that section of Scripture at some point in time uh, this evening. we got a lot of ground that I want to cover, although we will not cover all of it, so don't get, uh, don't get too nervous. We finish up the book of Acts this week. We have not finished it yet, so I am jumping ahead a little bit with a few of the things that we'll discuss tonight. But we have read most of the book of Acts, and by the end of Friday... Uh, or whatever day you finish your weekly readings, uh, we will have read through the book of Acts. And so I wanted, before we kind of left that part of the New Testament, I wanted us to spend some time tonight looking at Paul's life toward uh, the end of his missionary journeys and ultimately towards the end of his life. Uh, One reason is because Paul served Jesus so faithfully but as we read through the book of Acts, I, I, I'm always, I always think about this question. Though he served Jesus so faithfully, will he serve no matter the situation? No matter the situation. What happens to Paul at the end of Acts is pretty, uh, pretty intense. And anytime someone's going to experience that type of suffering, that type of persecution, the question has got to be, at least I hope it is for you, I know it is for me, will I, will I make it in the end? Have you ever thought about like anytime persecution's happening or you see something on the news or, you know, something in the Baptist record or something or some story shared or Facebook posts or whatever the case is and it's Christians in some other part of the world and how they're dying for their faith and then you hear these heroic stories of how they, 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 they look down the barrel pretty much, right? Like to the end, they professed Jesus and they died for it. And I've heard those stories and I've always been a little conflicted, uh, internally to, to say, would I do that? Right? Like, let's say it's me. Let's say it's you in, in that news article that we're all about to read about. Is the end of the story going to be, and they stood for Jesus to the very end, or is the end of the story going to be, no, they, they, they pleaded guilty as soon as they could so that their life could be spared. And so Paul's about to endure a lot of hardships, and I'm always presented, or at least in my mind, with the question, will he serve no matter the situation, but really it's less about Paul, I think, and more about me personally. If it was Danny, will Danny serve faithfully to the end, no matter the situation? Now, we spent a lot of time in the book of Acts, and we've looked at uh, different parts of the New Testament in light of the events of the book of Acts. We've seen the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the birth of the church. We've seen the apostles faithfully advance the kingdom of God. We've seen New leaders developed. We've seen the first martyr to die for Jesus. We've seen the first missionaries. And now we've seen the conclusion, at least in the end of the book of Acts, we've seen the conclusion of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Now, why I think this is significant is because we've been reading a lot of the New Testament in light of Paul's missionary journeys. And as he suffers toward the end, what happens? What does he do? What choices does he make? What can we learn from him, from the situations that he goes through? Now, people differ on how many missionary journeys they believe the Apostle Paul took. As a matter of fact, most people will all agree that he took at least three different missionary journeys that are recorded in the book of Acts. Now, if you're not quite familiar with what I mean by missionary journeys, I mean Paul traveled to locations that had never heard about Jesus, and he left those locations with churches planted throughout the wake. And so he went 
with the goal of seeing people come to faith in Jesus and church to start, and he set up elders in those churches or pastors in those churches, and then he moved on to another location and did the same thing. These are the journeys. When it mentions missionary journeys, this is the activity that Paul and, and the other followers of Christ were doing, right? There's a lot of, um, I had a conversation just this week, there's a lot of really good things that churches can do, right? There's a lot of really good things that our church does. Uh, the Thanksgiving meal comes to mind. Right, Very beautiful that we can offer meals to people who are much less fortunate on Thanksgiving than we are. Or maybe just don't have family so they don't get Thanksgiving type meals and we get to provide that for them. But what Paul's doing is a little different than providing meals. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a little different than eight days of hope, which there's, there's nothing wrong with fixing houses and repairing lands and, and, and being there for natural disasters. All that stuff is very good. But Paul's missionary journeys are not like that. His missionary journeys have nothing to do with him fixing things. His missionary journeys have everything to do with him telling people about Jesus, leading them to faith in him, establishing them in discipleship principles, enlisting leaders, and leaving behind a church. Now, this is beautiful type of work. This is why Paul would say in the book of Romans in chapter 10, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, right? He got to experience that firsthand. And so there's several of these. The first journey is Acts 13 through 14. He does this with Barnabas. We talked about this some. His second missionary journey is Acts 16 through 18. This is with Silas and Timothy. This is when Barnabas and Paul decided to part ways because of some differences. His third journey is uh, most agreed upon to be from Acts 18 to Acts 21. This is his journey back to Jerusalem and the churches that are planted on the route to go home. However, I would side with other scholars that suggest that Paul had not three missionary journeys, but four missionary journeys. As recorded in the latter chapters of the book of Acts, Rome has to be recorded as one of those missionary journeys. Don't forget what God told Ananias when Paul was converted. Back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, here's what the Lord said to him. Go, talking to Ananias, go find Paul. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. His final missionary journey to Rome will cover most of what God says Paul will eventually do. This is why I think it has to fit as the fourth missionary journey. I have a question mark on the picture up there tonight, but it's really not a question mark for me. I definitely believe this is the final missionary journey of Paul. It's this journey that I want us to summarize tonight. Uh, we're not certainly going to summarize the entire timeline. We're not going to cover every event that's there. That would take us a little while, uh, at least a couple of weeks, if not more. But I do want us to look at some things that we learn as we walk with Paul through the final years of his life. As a matter of fact, we all know, think about that comparison earlier, right? If we're the ones that are staring down the barrel. We're the ones who have to say yes or no. You'll die if you say yes. You'll live if you say no. If it's us in that scenario, what will we do? And as I thought about that, I thought about difficult times altogether because all of us know, even though we may have never uh, been, been at the end of our lives or, or, or worried about suffering death because we follow Christ, we all know what it's like to live through difficult times, right? We've all experienced things that were difficult. We've all had trials and tribulations. We've all had struggles that we've had to wrestle through. And if we were honest, 
we would probably all talk about the things that we learned through the struggles. Doesn't mean we want to go through the struggles. Doesn't mean we'd want to go do all of that again. But I bet most of us in those struggles typically say, I am better for it now than I was before. I learned things through the suffering, through the hardship, taught things, grew in ways uh, that I would not have done otherwise. In fact, oftentimes, we learn a lot more in suffering than we ever learn in success. Anybody else agree with that? Don't mean you don't learn things in success. Those are good too. But when you look back on those days of suffering, think of all the things that God takes you through when you're in the valley. Think of all the things that He shows you when you are so desperate that you can't rely on anybody else but Him. Suffering oftentimes teaches us a lot more than we ever learn in success. And I think Paul's life is certainly no different. In fact, Paul knew exactly what waited for him in his final years. Let me share a little bit about his perspective on his way to Jerusalem and then beyond. Here's what he says to the Ephesian elders that he meets with in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 25. Listen to these words. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. This is Paul speaking. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. I know it's a little lengthy, but here's what he says in that final meeting. And by the way, he says a whole lot more if you read in Acts chapter 20. He's letting them know. He knows what is ahead of him. He knows the suffering that awaits. He knows that eventually it will cost him his life. But he's okay with it because he's finishing what God has started. Listen to what he says to the disciples that he visits in Tyre in Syria on his way to Jerusalem. Here's what they told to Paul, not what he told to them. I apologize. This is what they said to him. This is Acts 21 verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, the ones that were in Tyre and Syria, we stayed there for seven days. So they're hanging out, having a good time. And through the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit is informing them, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Why? Because the Spirit had informed them what was going to happen to Paul. Now, was the Spirit telling them to tell Paul not to go? No. The Spirit was burdening them to pray over, to love on, to care for, to encourage what Paul would have to do. But you know what they took it as? Don't go, Paul. You don't need this. This suffering's too much. Don't go there. Matter of fact, listen to what Paul heard while he visits the disciples in Caesarea, also before he makes it to Jerusalem. This is in Acts 21, 10 through 12. Listen to this. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. You say, hey, what does all this have to do with Paul and what we learned from him in suffering? Well, can I tell you this? 
Paul's not shocked by what's coming his way. He knows the suffering that is ahead. He knows the situations that he will face. He knows the heartache that's on the other side of Jerusalem. But you know what else he knows? He knows he must go. Matter of fact, here's what I want to do. I want to show you some things that God has challenged me with as I read the last few chapters in the book of Acts. You know, we get caught up in the rest of Acts. The beginning is super exciting. The middle is churches being planted everywhere. The end is the story of Paul. Who wants to read the end of it? Not many people. But can I tell you something? We learn a ton about how we should follow Jesus as we watch one of his greatest followers do it faithfully to the end. I want to show you a couple things that I learned from it. Here's the first one. Safety isn't God's promise. And listen, this is going to hurt a little bit right out of the gate. All right? I'll go ahead and make that clarification. Safety isn't God's promise. As a matter of fact, after Paul's friends tried to persuade him to stay away from Jerusalem, here is what Paul said next. This is Acts 21, verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul knew more than I do that following Jesus isn't the safest decision you can make. As a matter of fact, I've heard a statement pretty much my entire life. People say, the safest place to be is in God's will. You ever heard that phrase? You know what, Danny? I tell you what, son, you just keep following the Lord because the safest place you can be is in His will. Now, I know what they mean by that statement, but can I tell you something? That's really not true. It's the best place to be but it is certainly not the safest. This is why Luke would continue to write in Acts chapter 21 in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. They said, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. The Spirit has shown us what will happen to you, Paul. Don't go. And Paul says, don't you be breaking my heart. You know what he's telling them? Don't you be trying to convince me not to do it. Listen, we are weak people. Paul is an incredible follower of Jesus, but you know what he knows? If they'll keep encouraging him, if they'll keep begging him, if they'll keep standing in the way, he might actually choose not to go. And he knows that would be the worst decision he could ever make. As a matter of fact, you know this happened another time in Scripture? It happened with Jesus. As a matter of fact, it happened with one of his closest followers by the name of Peter. And when Jesus told them what would happen, that he would die for the sins of the world, Peter said, no, Lord, I won't let it happen. Does anybody remember what Jesus said to him? What did he call him? Satan. You know why he called him Satan? Because Jesus, too, he knew how hard it would be to suffer as God wanted him to suffer for the sake of the world. And if people pushed him, if, if, if sin tried to grab him, if the devil tried to... He knew. He knew how hard it would be. So anyone who tried to get in the way, he claimed it as Satan. You know what? Paul's doing the same thing. Finally, they just go, you know what? Let the will of the Lord be done. Well, you know what the will of the Lord was for Paul? It wasn't safety. As a matter of fact, the Bible's filled with examples of how following Jesus won't be safe. Let me share a couple of them with you. These are from Jesus. This is John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. This is Jesus again, John 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Not only will they kill you, they will think they're doing it for the Lord. Here's Jesus again. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There is no ifs in that sentence. You will suffer. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know how Paul said it to his young protege, Timothy? Listen, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You say, Danny, I don't think that means that we will suffer. Well, I don't know what you're reading because it's clearly not the same thing I am. Knowing that safety isn't God's promise. How many of us want to make safety our promise? God never makes it, but how many of us want that to be the case? We might make plenty of excuses on why God would never ask us to do a certain thing or be in a certain situation because He wouldn't want harm to come to us. However, listen to me, friends. Don't miss this. If not from me, from the life of Paul, don't miss it. Safety is never promised. Paul's experience after this moment of being obedient to follow Jesus doesn't turn out so good. Matter of fact, right after this, he goes to Jerusalem as God desires, by the way. That is God's will. And he is quickly met with opposition that doesn't fare well for him. Let me show you the progression. It's in Acts 21. I'm going to start in verse 30, but just listen to it. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. He was seized and dragged out. Verse 32, jump down to it in Acts chapter 21. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. You know what that means? It means they seized him, they dragged him out of the temple, and before they stopped beating him, they had to start beating him. So here he is, drug out, seized, beaten. Now watch this, verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Now picture this. Paul, don't go. I got to go. The Lord wants me to. Paul, don't do it. You'll be arrested. I got to do it. It's what the Lord wants me to do. The Lord would never want you to be harmed, Paul. That can't be God's will. He goes to Jerusalem. He is seized. He is dragged out. He is beaten. He is bound with chains. All of this happened as Paul continued, by the way, to be obedient to God. You know what that means? It means following Jesus could very well mean risk for me. Safety isn't God's promise. If you're looking for safe, I don't think Jesus is the first one you should run to. If you're looking for best, there is no better destination. Let me show you the second one. Silence isn't God's practice. I'm going to be honest with you, I was kicked in the face a little bit when I discovered that safety isn't God's 
promise. I really wish it was. I want to have the best things to ever happen to me because I follow Jesus. That's not the case. Safety is not the promise. But then I kept reading Paul's story at the end of Acts, and I discovered that even though he wasn't safe, even though he may die for everything he says, even though being quiet would have been the easiest and, and, and best thing for Paul to do for his own safety, God showed me that silence isn't his practice. Paul's drug out of the temple, he's beaten, he's arrested, he's bound, yet he wasn't going to miss an opportunity to share what God had done. Though he was bound and beaten, he would not be broken or bridled. He wouldn't. I do not care what you do to me. I will stand for Jesus. And when you beat my legs off, I'll kneel for Jesus. And when you break the rest of it, I'll lay face down on the ground for Jesus. And when I don't have any breath left in my lungs, I will be with Jesus. Silence isn't God's practice. I love what happens in Acts 21, 37-40. Paul's about to be brought into the barracks, and he said to the tribune, he says, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the, the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, no, that's not me. Actually, that's not what he says, but it's not him. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, listen to this, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And you know what happens? Acts 22 and the beginning of Acts 23, they are filled with Paul testifying about Jesus. Though his sharing caused his struggle, he continued to speak. You know what it reminds me of? I'm, 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 I'm reading this account, and I'm thinking, Paul, just... Just shut up, man. Just stop. Just, just go quietly into the night, buddy. No, he won't. And all I could think about was Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John had an encounter with the same high priest figure that turned out to be pretty similar. Now, it wasn't the exact same high priest, but the same office. And here's what happens. It says, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Is this not so much similar? The most powerful people on the planet are threatening to take his life. And he goes, I will not go quietly because silence isn't God's practice. But then I thought, how many of us make silence our practice? It's not God's, but how many of us make it ours? I'm fascinated with what God tells Paul as we continue. Acts 23, verse 11. I'm fascinated with this statement. 
After Paul's put in prison, here's what happens. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. Can you imagine this, by the way? The Lord stood by him. No one else stood by him. Okay, tell you something, friends. He didn't need anybody else. You want to know why? Because the Lord stood by him. He said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must, don't miss this, so you must testify also in Rome. You know what God's doing? He's preparing Paul for the road ahead. God desires for us to share, not to be silent. You know what takes place? Acts chapter 22, he shares. Acts chapter 23, he shares. Acts chapter 24, he shares before Governor Felix. In fact, he remains there for over two years, even privately speaking with both Felix and his wife. Why? Because he wanted to hear the things that Paul had to say. In Acts chapter 25, he shares again with a new governor. His name is Festus. He shares his entire testimony with King Agrippa. By the way, there's one of the kings that God wanted to bring Paul before in Acts chapter 26. In fact, the king is almost converted. Listen, this is Acts 26, 28 to 29. Listen to these words. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. You know what I learned? Clearly, silence isn't God's practice. I learned something else, though, that was challenging to me. And it's this. Shipwreck isn't God's plan. I was thinking about shipwrecks, and you may not have the same thing in your mind. But I'm not talking about situations that you can't control, right? Those aren't shipwrecks. Those are just bad wrecks. I define shipwrecks as those events in life that could have turned out differently had we been obedient to God instead of disobedient. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I talk about shipwrecks? I'm talking about the things that are caused by our mistakes, not by anyone else's. There are storms that push us to Jesus, and there are struggles that cause us to lean on Jesus. But shipwrecks are a little bit different. Matter of fact, I wrote this question. It was really just for me, but I'm going to share it with you. How many shipwrecks, how many storms didn't have to happen in my life if I would have simply obeyed God the first time? I think about somebody like Jonah. You think that was God's plan from the beginning? No, I think he had to use a different route because Jonah was disobedient to what God wanted in the first place. Now, are you saying, Danny, are you saying that's, that, that Jonah did something outside of God's will? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Danny, are you saying I can do something outside of God's Yes, that's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that because you do it outside of his will, it doesn't mean he won't accomplish his purposes. Don't miss that. It might, he might go about a different way of getting you there, but he's going to get you there. I thought to myself, how many wouldn't have had to happen in my own life? And the first thing that came to my mind was this. Shipwrecks are avoidable. They are. They are avoidable. As a matter of fact, you say, Danny, why are you talking about shipwrecks? Because that's what happens in Acts chapter 27. Verses 9 through 11, listen to what happens. 
since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. By the way, that's an understatement. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But don't miss this. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. I thought to myself, how many times is that the story of Danny Boudreaux? God said, hey buddy, I got a much better way. And I said, no God, I'm going to do it my own way. And God said, all right, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You could have avoided it, but I'll still do what I need to do. Go ahead, big boy. I think to myself, how many shipwrecks could have been avoided if I had listened to Jesus? I noticed something else, though. Shipwrecks, though they are avoidable, they are also advantageous. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look at Acts 27, verses 21 through 25. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. All right, Paul, we got it. You don't have to rub it in anymore. We're all about to die and we're starving. If you need us to say it, Paul, okay, you were right. I was wrong, right? He says, yet now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Why? For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And you say, Danny, why is that advantageous? Paul could have avoided that whole thing. I agree, but listen. I wonder how many people on that boat began in that moment to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. You see, in that moment, what seemed like the worst possible thing that could have ever happened might have actually been the only thing that would lead them to Jesus in the first place. You say, Danny, why are you saying this? Here's why. God can take your shipwrecks and He can use them for your advantage and the advantage of of others. Now, don't miss this. Doesn't mean you should cause them, alright? When you did something stupid and it actually worked out pretty good for everybody involved, don't mean anybody wants to hear about you bragging about the stupid thing you did, right? We all say, you got lucky. God says, I've got a plan. God works in spite of us. Let me show you this other thing, though. Shipwrecks, avoidable, absolutely advantageous. They can be for those who are around, but also didn't even know if this is a word, but it really is. Look it up. Shipwrecks are accomplishable. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I want to read to you what happens because of the shipwreck when they get to the island of Malta. I want to read a couple verses after they're there and a few events happen. I'm going to start in verse 7 of Acts chapter 28. Here's what it says. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief men of the island, uh, the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. That's very nice of you, Publius. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases 
also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And I learned something really, really practical for my own life. Though they're not his plan, I'm talking about shipwrecks, doesn't mean they can't accomplish his purpose. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 28 is the one that sticks out to me the most. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. I'm thankful He can use my shipwrecks even though they're not His plan. Let me show you this last thing. This one hurt me a little bit. I discovered as I read in the latter years of Paul's life that satisfaction isn't God's priority. You say, Danny, what do you mean by that? Well, most of the time, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about self. We have a word for this. It's called selfishness. That is typically me. I want to know about my security. I want personal satisfaction above anything else. Well, friends, listen. I've learned from the Apostle Paul's last years that my satisfaction isn't God's priority. Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want me to be satisfied. In fact, I think we will be when we stop worrying about our own satisfaction. As a matter of fact, John Piper might have put it best when he said, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. And listen, I think that's exactly what Paul would tell us at the end of Acts chapter 28. I don't want to read it all, although I think it would be beneficial. But I'm also looking at the time and I'm thinking we might get done early. When you read in that last chapter of Acts, here's what you discover. God allows Paul great freedom to continue to teach the gospel of Jesus in Rome. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. Let me give you a little portion of it. He says, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, listen to this, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire, listen to this, we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect. They're talking about Christianity. We know that everywhere it is spoken Against And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You know what happens? A group of people who never heard about Jesus because of Paul's suffering get to hear the name of Christ. And I realized instantly, listen to me friends, satisfaction isn't God's priority. It's not about me. You want to know what His priority is? It's His name being glorified. And let me tell you something friends, this is difficult. I had to sit in this too. But if Danny's suffering means more glory for Jesus then our response should be, bring on the suffering. And not just our response, but God's desire. 
Satisfaction isn't his priority. His name being made famous is. And it says at the end of 28, he lived there two whole years, talking about Paul at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I don't know if you know this, but God didn't save Paul for Paul to be satisfied. He saved Paul so he could be sent. Sent where? Sent to the world to proclaim the name of Jesus. Can you do a little exercise with me just real quick? You know, it's not, it doesn't require any actual activity. It's more mental. I apologize. I didn't mean to get y'all. All right, I'm ready. Put my, put my cup down. What if you took Paul out of there and you put your name? Because can I tell you something? Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> Still true. God didn't save Danny for Danny to be satisfied. He saved Danny so that he could send Danny to reach the nations. I don't know if you know this, but satisfaction isn't God's priority. When Paul was sent, it was in fact, by the way, the time in which he was truly satisfied. Maybe you're missing the greatest satisfaction because you're not going and you're not sharing as God desires. Satisfaction isn't God's priority, but salvation is. You know what I hope, friends? I hope that as you read through the end of the book of Acts, I hope you're challenged as much as I have been challenged. I would encourage you tonight to reflect on the lessons that Paul's final years have taught me. Safety isn't God's promise. Will you serve even if it means suffering? Silence isn't God's practice. Will you share even when it's easier to be quiet? Shipwreck isn't God's plan. Even when you shipwreck His plan, will you allow Him to accomplish His purposes? Satisfaction isn't God's priority. Could it be that you finally realize that your greatest satisfaction is only found when you live sent by Him? Paul is such an encouragement to us. Will you follow his example? Now, I don't know if that's what Paul looked like, but I thought it was a good picture. <laughs> Will we too look at the end of Paul's life and realize those aren't just stories in there for cool history lessons that we could all talk about. They're in there to encourage us and challenge us that Paul's not the only one who's been sent. So have we. Will we live the way God desires for us to live?